Hey people, welcome to Accidental Gods, to the place where we believe that another world is still possible, and that together we can make it happen. I'm Manda Scott, your host at this place on the web where art meets activism, politics meets philosophy, and science meets spirituality, all in the service of conscious evolution. And my guests this week, for there are two of them, are absolutely crucial to where we go next. Madeline Young grew up in an activist household and spent much of her childhood at Greenham Common. In later life, she's been an activist with Extinction Rebellion. She's also a homeopath and a trainer of the work that reconnects. And that's what brought her together with Dr Chris Johnson, who has been a medical doctor, a GP, a specialist working with addictions, and the developer of the College of Wellbeing, which teaches positive psychology and ways of becoming more of ourselves. Chris also co-authored the book Active Hope with Joanna Macy, and so he too has been deeply and intimately involved in the work that reconnects since the early 80s. And together, the two of them, Madeline and Chris, have come together to create an Active Hope training. Online, for free, video-based, with all of the technology of the 21st century, so that all of us can begin to dive deeply into the spirals of well-being, of understanding ourselves, of coming together in ways that acknowledge all of ourselves, that can help us listen to the web of life so that we know our part to play in the great turning, the great unravelling, or the great change that is coming. This has been a truly and deeply inspiring podcast to record, and I hope you enjoy it as much as I did. People of the podcast, please welcome Madeline Young and Dr. Chris Johnson. So Madeline and Chris, welcome to the Accidental Gods podcast. Thank you for turning out on what sounds, Madeline, like quite a an interesting day in your life. Tell us a little bit about where you are and how it is. Oh, well, I've I've just moved myself and my horse, my partner and and dogs to to Devon where it's currently incredibly rainy. Uh so we're just trying to settle in amidst the the mud. The torrential rain, but it's Devon, which is very like Shropshire and and the rule for Shropshire Wales and Scotland is if you can see the hills it's going to rain. And if you can't see the hills, it's already raining. So so this is how Devon is going to be. But that doesn't stop it being very beautiful. And Chris, you're in one of those other places where rain is something of a feature. Tell us where you are. So I'm in the northeast of Scotland and the sky is blue and clear and sunny just now. And uh, over on the the east coast, it doesn't rain nearly as much as the west coast. We're in what's called a, a rain shadow. We've got mountains around us that uh, cause the clouds to drop most of their rain before they come to us. Oh, magic. So you guys have set up the Active Hope Foundation training online, video-based, because we're in the 21st century and that's how we do things. And so we really want to talk today about how, how that came about, what it is, how you do it, why you do it. So let's ask Chris first, because you helped to write Active Hope with Joanna Macy, and therefore you have already been embedded in the whole of the work that reconnects Active Hope universe for quite a while, I think. So tell us how you came to that, and then how you came to this. So back in the early 1980s, my partner at the time, and she'd done one of Joanna Macy's first workshops in the UK. And I was a young student at the time, deeply concerned about what was happening in the world, but also horrified by what I saw as a default collective response of ignoring the problem. And particularly, I spent some time in my training as a medical doctor in Sri Lanka uh, at a centre for abandoned malnourished children. And to see a starving child and then go back to business as usual in London and, you know, see all the kind of um, huge levels of uh, 
extravagant wealth. Mm. I know it's hugely unequal, you know, lots of people struggle, but there are some people have such huge um, amounts of wealth. And, and and this sense of just like, oh, these problems, they just happen. And there's a kind of acceptance that it's okay for hundreds of millions of people to starve, for our world to be on this collision course with disaster. And meanwhile, we just carry on with business as usual. And Joanna Macy was one of the very few people who I saw as having a very well-developed and effective response to that in the workshops that she developed, this approach called The Work That Reconnects, which is basically about plugging back into life. If we see ourselves as separate from life in these little bubbles of individualism, um, we can go about our concerns, go about our daily life, but in a way that we're kind of unplugged from well, I think we can feel concern, but I think also what we're most unplugged from is our sense that we can make a difference. Mm. Mm-hmm. And um, Joanna Macy's work was called Despair and Empowerment. It's like this, like when you when your heart sinks, you know, you look at what's happening in the world and you think, like, what can I do about that? You can feel despairing sometimes. But the empowerment is like, how do you go through a strengthening, transformative process that grows your sense that you can play an effective role in responding to the mess that we're in. And I just loved her first book, Despair and Personal Power in the Nuclear Age, or her first book about this anyway. And um, I, I signed up to train with Joanna Macy, which I did in the late 1980s. And I worked closely with her ever since, over 30 years now. And I've been running workshops and training trainers. And Joanna and I were having a discussion where we were, I wanted to record us having a conversation about what we'd learned about what helps us face our concerns about the world. And it was out of recording those conversations that I loved what was emerging in, in the, you know, from both of us, really. It was what I think of as a generative conversation where we draw out from each other things that we hadn't really said before. So i pitched to Joanna the idea of us turning this into a book and that evolved into Active Hope which is now in published in 14 languages around the world and has made a huge impact for some people and what it's doing as a book is taking people on the same strengthening journey that we do in workshops but we're also thinking like well there's a lot of people who don't read books and um, also how do we make this more widely accessible? And I was very lucky to get a grant from the Emergence Foundation last year, which supports people doing educational activities for positive change. And they liked what I proposed. And so it was to set up a free video-based online course in Active Hope called Active Hope Training. And Madeline had done another training with me, a facilitator training, and has um, played a hugely important role as um, kind of part of the team, really, that we've developed around this project. Brilliant. Thank you. That's raised so many questions, but let's move to Madeline and then we'll come back and see how many of them remain to be answered. So Madeline, tell us your side of what brought you to this place and this time. Well, I'm one of those people that the book Active Hope has made a massive difference in my life. My mum's an activist, so I grew up um, very aware, probably too aware of the, the mess that our world is in. From a very young age, um, I spent big chunks of my childhood like, at Greenham Common, uh, like marching on the streets, doing different things. And then as an adult, I've always tried to find like my way of trying to make a difference. And I just went through this cycle of uh, you know, finding a cause, finding a, a, a community, like real enthusiasm, going for it, and then burnout mm. and so yeah and it, it always felt like this like I'd come back to this feeling of being powerless and then I went to a, a workshop uh, being run by a dear friend of mine um, and it was the first workshop uh, that I'd been to uh, the work that reconnects and I found it uh, just amazing um, and so then I immediately bought the the book Active Hope. And the thing for me was that like I no longer needed to, before I was trying to heroically carry 
all of these feelings I had and somehow carry them in a like hidden bag while trying to be a good activist. And that was what was causing me to, to burn out this like this dual dual existence and so then when I was introduced to this concept that those feelings could actually be at the core of my activism they could be seen as really valuable and it's it's really turned my life around and and I feel I feel a lot more alive and so I feel very passionate about trying to get this out to to as many other people as possible. Brilliant. Say a little bit more about feeling more alive how does that feel what is it like? It's interesting because I think it's like unblocking the the grief or the, the difficult feelings also unblocks the joy. Mm. So it's like while I was trying to carry those feelings and like just not really have ways that they could be expressed or, or honored or valued and uh, yeah, just trying to it, distract from them. That was what really contributed to the sense of powerlessness. Right. Um, and also to a feeling like I had to try and somehow save the day, like that, you know, and so that now I've been introduced to this idea that I, I'm just a part of this much greater whole, this big network, and I only need to do my little bit. I don't need to try and save everything. And that has me just, it's taken a huge weight off me. And it means that I can commit way more to the little things that I can do each day And that also has me feeling much more alive. Brilliant. Okay. So I want to come back to committing to the things that you can do and how you work out what those are. But before we do that, let's move to Chris. And just before we move on, I'm really curious that you started off as a medical doctor. Did I understand that correctly? Yes. Yeah. And so did you ever practice once you'd gone through the the living hell of, of medical training? Were you ever a practicing medic? And if so... What and how and where and when? Yeah, so I trained as a medical doctor. I qualified in 1986 and I worked for more than 20 years in the health service as a doctor in a range of roles, um, about three or four years, three years as a hospital doctor. And I used to work these incredible hours, you know, like I had a contract that I should be available for work for an average of 88 hours a week. It was just absurd. And uh, I got very involved in the campaign to tackle doctor's hours because in some ways it's a similar mindset that leads us to wreck our world. And there's a system dynamic called overshoot and collapse. So overshoot is when you drive something too hard for too long, you wear away the carrying capacity, the ability to kind of hold ourselves up and you end up with collapse. And Madeline's described that with activism, but I also went through that as a junior doctor. I got deeply exhausted from this severe sleep deprivation. I I got very depressed. I even had um, suicidal thoughts. There was a time where I was just on an edge of jumping in front of a bus. You know, it was like a nightmare period of my life. And um, in the campaign, I, you know, we slept on the pavement overnight outside a London hospital to draw attention to this. And I ended up taking my health authority to court wow. and it made front page headlines around the world. And And over about 10 court hearings over six years, I eventually won the case. And that was such an important education for me because all my colleagues at the time, or most of my colleagues at the time, when I said to them, you know, like, this is horrendous. We've got to do something about this. A common response I heard was, well, we haven't got the power here. There's nothing we can do. Right. And it was a sense of resignation and defeat. Everyone knew it was crazy, it was absurd, it was dangerous. Yet there was a sense of, well, we can't do anything about this. And I love this idea that one of the most powerful things in the universe is a small gang of committed people. You know, that when you get a group of people together, there's this lovely saying, the whole is more than the sum of the parts. And uh, in the course, we we really draw this out, this idea of synergy and emergence, that when people act together, you can create something that wasn't there before. And we have this equation, one plus one equals two and a bit, you know, that when people act together, uh, like a great double acts, um, you get something that wasn't there before, that 
and a bit more effective. And so a small group of us, we were very effective in campaigning. We mm. lobbied Parliament. We went outside Parliament with balls and chains in our hand. And um, this court case eventually won, made massive publicity, and it did change the context of the law. But I think most of all, it was a reference point that made me aware that you can challenge the feeling of powerlessness. That when you feel, I can't do anything about this, that's an assessment based on a particular view of things. And that assessment can change. And so what I've made my life work really is about learning and understanding what helps change happen. And I worked in my medical career. I trained as a GP. um, But then I worked in addictions recovery for nearly 20 years. And it was a similar thing going on that people would reach a point of feeling completely powerless, you know, feeling that one person said to me, he said, I've given up giving up because every time I try, I end up failing. I end up relapsing and going back. But there's such a lot of learning in addictions recovery because people do get well people do find a way of facing powerlessness and turning something around. And there's such important lessons in how that happens. And what I found was, was that this was parallel to me being very involved in the work that Reconnects and working with Joanna Macy. And I found this cross-pollinization between my work around the psychology of change in addictions recovery and also my work around the psychology of change in tackling world issues with Joanna Macy. And I ended up um, working very closely with Rob Hopkins, who set up the transition movement. I, I contributed a chapter to his book, The Transition Handbook, about really drawing on this psychology of change. And what we've done in this Active Hope foundations training is is we draw on these different streams one is the work that reconnects my close working with joanna macy over 30 years but also drawing on proven principles of health psychology what has been um, evidence-based interventions in um, tackling very difficult issues like addictions and substance and you know we get so hooked on things but we can get addicted not just to substances but also to ways of being Mm. and in a way i feel like we've got hooked on heavy use of um, fossil fuel in a way where people fear the withdrawal symptoms if they were to cut down their use and one of the great learnings of the pandemic is that people can stop traveling and dramatically reduce their carbon footprint and sure you know it was hard it was hard going but we got through that mostly Mm. you know there have been casualties along the way but i think that's people said before the pandemic oh people will never stop flying you know people people are so stuck in their ways they'll never change but we have changed Mm. we've shown that it's possible and i think that this is a teachable moment where we are in our world where um the pandemic and climate change have things in common in that they're both invisible hazards until they cause harm but they're also both related to our behavior. It's not the only cause, but it's it's a, a question that we look at a lot in this course is what happens through you? And problems can happen through us. The pandemic can happen through us. It's, 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 there's a saying, it's not just the virus spreading, it's people spreading the virus. Yeah. And similarly with climate change, it's not some external thing that's just happening to us. It, it's a problem that's happening through us, through the ways of uh, our choices about um, how we travel um, and you know where we travel and what energy we use. And we've got such a massive task to wean ourselves off um, carbon-heavy lifestyles. But also, I love this idea, this is something I've learned from my clients in addictions recovery, is that recovery has two directions. There's what you're recovering from, Hmm. but there's also what you're recovering towards. And People may recover from different things. It might be addiction to alcohol or depression or a physical health problem. But can we recover from climate change? You know, some things have gone so far where we don't know what degree of recovery is possible. Mm. But what we do know is what direction we can contribute to. 
Can we contribute towards recovery? Can the process of recovery happen through us? And we, as a, in the work that reconnects, have a central storyline. We call it the great turning. The great turning is like it's a story of, um, well, we think there's, there's three core things. One is turning up, turning up with an intention to play our role. And in turning up, we become clear about things we want to turn away from and also things we want to turn towards. So how do we turn away from carbon-heavy living? How do we turn away from uh, expressing a culture that's destroying our world? Mm. How do we turn towards uh, regenerative practices? How do we turn towards playing a role in the recovery of our world? And we don't know how far we'll get, but we're more likely to save more of our biosphere if we're part of the process of protecting it and regenerating it. Okay, brilliant. Thank you. So Madeline, let's come back to you. And I would like to know what the other two principles are from the work that reconnects. But before we get to that, when we were talking with you last, you said that what had opened up your life and given you that sense of agency again was being able to commit to the little things and that sense of being part of a greater whole, which I know we've discussed this offline quite a lot, you and I. This is what Accidental Gods is aiming for, and I think we're very much in the same ecosystem with this. How do you personally connect to the all that is, the web of life, whatever we want to call it, so that you have a sense of what your role is in all of this? Yeah, I think something that's uh, that's quite uh, important to mention here is this. So Chris has spoken about the the great turning, but within the great turning, so the work that reconnects sees three dimensions, hmm. three dimensions of the great turning, and these dimensions are all equally important, and they're all interrelated. And so this concept was. A key to me. It was really quite revolutionary because it really broadens the sense of what activism is. Mm-hmm. Um, because you have like one dimension, which is known as the holding actions, which might be what would be uh, typically thought of as, uh, as activism, like being there, holding a placard, you know, doing a boycott, a petition, uh, anything that tries to slow down or stop the the harm that's being done to our world. But then there are these other two dimensions that interrelate and and that if we only uh, did the holding actions, even if we were really successful with that, we managed to to pause everything and slow it down, then what is there to take its place? And this is when the, the other two come in. So we have a dimension of creating new systems and structures and like ways of, of interacting with each other. And that might be things like permaculture, for example, or, uh, like the, the kind of banking that actually also values, uh, the, the, the well-being of the world and the well-being of people. Anything that is creating a, a structure or a system that's actually good for, for life on earth. Um, and the third dimension is the shift in consciousness. And that would be where things like regenerative cultures, uh, decolonization, all of this work that we're needing to do on our own internal landscapes Mm. so that when we then turn up within those systems that we're creating, we bring to that like the, the new evolving consciousness that is needed to really make them thrive. And so like going back to your question, uh, that's what I find is that like in order for the great turning to happen, these three dimensions really need to come together so that they're all happening at the same time. So what I will do is if I find a moment um, when I'm a bit uh, feeling a bit stuck or challenged or a bit lost. So I had one of these and I, I was very uh, involved with Extinction Rebellion. And in one of the rebellions in London, I had a moment where I was feeling really like, okay, I don't know what my part is to play. I've really lost my center a bit. I did, you know, and I remember like I just went into my tent 
And I actually guided myself through a spiral of the work that reconnects um, in about 20 minutes or half an hour. And that was my way of recentering myself and working out in that moment what felt like my part to play. And so half an hour later, I was able to emerge from my tent and actually engage and proactively be a positive part of things where actually, you know, an hour before I'd been feeling lost and like I just wanted to cry. So can you, without necessarily walking us through every step of it, give us more of an insight into what a spiral of the work that reconnects looks and feels like? Mm -hmm. So it can look and feel very different in its fine details and and the the ways in which it's expressed. Uh, But it has this overall structure, which is very simple and clear and quite easy to understand. So this is the way that I love to use that as like the the skeleton to shape a playful experimentation in in how I might want to express it individually. And so this structure is made up of uh, four stages or, or stations. So we imagine ourselves journeying through these four stations and it's seen as a, a spiral um, because we we emerge slightly different than we went in always. So it's, it's not really like a circle, even though we will often come back to the beginning and go around again, it's like we're, we're spiraling each time. Um, and these four stages, we, we begin with, with gratitude. And gratitude is, it's really quite counter-cultural and, and, and revolutionary. We're encouraged to, to focus on, on what we lack because that's what turns us into really good consumers. And that's what business as usual wants is, is people to, to be hooked on consumption. So we have this, this initial basis of really seeping in this awareness of how much we have by being alive and all of the networks that we're connected into. So we think what we're grateful for, who we're grateful to, how we can express that. We really give ourselves this amazing strong roots by seeping ourselves in appreciation. And the second stage is where we we honor our pain for the world. And that pain might, it could take lots of different forms. It might be feelings of anger, of frustration, of powerlessness, of depression, of grief, of fear, uh, anxiety, all these different things. But this is the stage where we welcome those feelings in as if they're like a, a friend, an ally. We honor them. We really give them the value that they are because they show that we are part of all of this. We're a part of life and we really care. And it's almost like those first two stages, they they help us to expand into this deep connection with life. And we then move on to the third stage, which is seeing with new eyes, where we we access a, a fresh perspective. And this is often, it's, it's like a very expansive stage. So it might be that we, we see things from a more expanded sense of, of time or of our sense of community. We reimagine our power, so we see our power differently. And there's, there's loads of different ways to do this. But I often find this stage really, really energizing. And it, it gives that energy to move into the fourth stage, which is going forth. And that's where we really uh, look, give some focus to what, the part we would like to play is and then how we can support ourselves to do that so ways that we might be blocked and resources we could call on to get around those blocks and actually exiting with with specific steps that we could do that are achievable Uh, and that's where it's like we've drawn on those previous stages and that's helped us to to leave with this more empowered and focused way of moving forwards beautiful and it works Clearly, it worked for you in Extinction Rebellion and it's working for you with this. So, Chris, let's move back to you. And you were talking about the work that reconnects having three parts and the first part was showing up. Can you talk us through the other two as a structure for then taking us on to talking more about your foundation training? Yeah, so thinking about the great turning. The great turning is often seen as like this absolutely massive larger story of change so a bit like we can look back in history at periods in 
time like the renaissance or the scientific revolution or the agricultural revolution where there were lots of different elements to a much larger process of change and so we think of the the great turning as some people talk about it as the ecological revolution or uh, it's more than just ecological because it's deeply rooted in social justice too it's it's kind of like how do we first of all recognize the wrong turning that is heading over the edge of a cliff but also turn ourselves our culture our ways of doing things our whole organization um, around and madeline has just mapped out beautifully those three dimensions which i love this way of the whole is more than the sum of the parts when you bring them together they create something more and when i talk about the great turning sometimes the response i get is oh i can't see that happening you know i don't feel very hopeful about that one and this is where active hope is different from being hopeful mm-hmm. so being hopeful is do i think it will happen you know am i optimistic about that and you can look at so much bad news about what's happening in our world we call it the great unraveling it's a larger story of falling apart of dissent and decline and it's very easy to feel hopeless and think there's no chance here mm. i remember working alongside that same feeling very often in addictions recovery the sense of just not seeing any hope at all but there's also something that can happen where people move beyond the need for optimism before they act. Mm. If we require hopefulness in order to act, that becomes a block. And active hope is something you can use even where you feel hopeless. And it's based on a, a different side of the meaning of hope. You can think of hope, there's different ways of understanding hope. You know, One is a feeling that things are going to get better, and it's very easy to not have that when you look at what's going on or to see it as misleading as kind of false hope mm. but another way of looking at hope is is really about desire it's about saying what do you hope for you know uh, as we emerge hopefully from this pandemic what direction do you hope things will go in mm. and then active hope is saying well how can we be active in making that more lightly and that's really about allowing this story of the great turning to happen through us. So your question about the different sides of the great turning, there's these three dimensions, but there's also, I think of it as three turnings. One is, um, this is a shift from outcome, outcome is will it happen, to process. Process is what are the small steps that help it happen? What does it look like in the moment? And so if I was to ask the question, you know, what would it look like if the great turning was to be happening through each of us right now, here today? And one way it happens is when we turn up with an intention to play our part. We might not know what our part is, but we can turn up with that intention and say, hey, you know, I've recognized that we're in a mess and I want to do something. And so just that process is about priming ourselves. But then also it's recognizing that actually the way that we're living um, in industrialized countries is wrecking our world. Hmm. And so if we don't want to be the destroyers we need to turn away from toxic modes of life toxic modes of culture toxic modes of um uh, our uh, energy use and there's so many ways that we can spill out harm like a you know toxic um leakage and it's not just in materially it's also in our language as well and this is where the whole decolonization agenda is so helpful is recognizing how we've been brought up in a particular culture that's based on a view of some people being more important than others, some people's lives mattering more than others, and um, skin color, race, you know, these are part of this story of, uh, we call it, uh, it's interesting, the word apartheid Mm. in Dutch, Africana, means aparthood. And so it's like, how do we, if we're going to turn up, how do we turn away from a parthood, which is seeing ourselves as somehow separate and particularly um, in groupism, this idea of, you know, make this country great, make that country great or this group great or that group great. It's about putting one group above others, Mm. but in a way that 
it is really based on material competition and also structural inequality. It's massive structural inequality in our world. And so if we want to move away from a parthood and more to, I think of it as part ofness, part ofness. And part ofness is where we feel that we're part of something larger than ourselves. We're, and when M- uh, Madeline was talking about the consciousness shift in the great turning, a big part of that is a shift in how we see ourselves. Wh- who are we? You know, I think who are we is such a, a great question because my name, Chris Johnston, there's two sides of me there. Chris is who I am as an individual, but Johnston, that's my family name. And it expresses my part ofness. I'm part of something that's bigger than just a separate individual. And so what we do with this consciousness shift is turning towards. So you said, what are the three? So the three is turning up, turning away from a parthood, from toxic ways of living, thinking, expressing our lives, and then turning towards seeing ourselves as part of life on earth. Hmm. part of this incredible being this is where modern science systems thinking gaia theory really revolutionizes our view of 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 what we are it's like a whole different story of that we can um, and i think it's just totally amazing it's one of the things we touch on in the course um because in terms of aliveness there's a different quality of aliveness that comes when you're plugged into something larger than yourself that feelings like belonging loyalty, purpose, depth of meaning, all of those arise out of what I think of as our connected self, our our self as part of a larger whole. So I'm Chris Johnston. I could say Chris Johnston from the planet Earth, you know, that Mm. um, phrase Joanna Macy uses is we are planet people. It's a shift in who we are. It's a shift in our sense of what we're part of where we're from the country the country we belong to i think of myself as i belong to the country of this planet earth Mm. and if we really get that then we start to see what we've got in common we have less of this this group and that group we say hey we've got a common destiny here and we don't know how it's going to go but i can be clear how i hope it will go Mm. and this is where the active hope comes in if we know what we hope for Active hope is where we're active in heading in that direction or making it more lightly. Beautiful. Thank you. So, Madeline, um, I want to move on very soon to the course and how it's structured and how people can access it. But as a way to get there, Chris just said we, we can be clear how we hope it will go. And that's part of, that's the embodiment of the active hope. So how do you hope this course will go and how it will then, what's your vision for who we could become if everybody were to take this course? Do you have a, a hope for that? Mm-hmm. Yes. Um, I mean, one of the things that I find exciting about the course is that there's um, different ways to engage with it. So it's possible to engage with it uh, as an individual for it to be a personal journey. So as well as the as well as the videos with each, with each installment, there's a, a guided practice with each installment, and it's possible to to do those practices as, as a personal reflection and for it to be part of that that journey that I would make as an individual. Um, it's also possible to engage with the course as a buddy pair. So this is where we start to get a sense of connection that maybe I really feel to do it and I reach out to my friends and say, hey, does anybody want to do this with me? And mm. um, we start to get this like, this, this sense of connection. Um, but it's also possible to engage with it as a group. Um, and this might be that there's a possibility of a new group forming, whether it's online or in person, to journey through this course together. Or maybe people are part of an existing group and they're like, oh, you know, I'd like to deepen the bonds in this group and to, to get to know people on a, on another level and, and yeah, like share this journey of motivation. And so I think my hope is that this course reaches out to anyone out there who's feeling powerless or is feeling that they they want to work towards positive change maybe they're already working towards positive change but sometimes they feel like weary 
they would like to give a boost to, to what they're doing or to get clarity and that people find the way to engage with it that works for them. And it's possible even that somebody might go through it personally and then think, hey, that was great. Now I'm going to reach out to a group and go through it again. You know, it feels to me like there's so much material in there mm. that it's possible for this to this course to form almost like a, a backbone, you know, that people can keep coming back to to find strength and structure to help them in their journey towards positive change. Okay, so we, it could become the same kind of spiral that you were describing in your tent at Extinction Rebellion, where you you always come out different, so however many times you go round, it's not a circle, it's, it's a helix. Mm-hmm. Beautiful. So tell us, Madeline, again, we'll come back to Chris in a moment, how do people find it and what are the early steps? So people can find it by going to the website activehope.training. And you can uh, enroll there. It's a two-step enrollment process. Uh, So it's important to make sure you do both steps. Uh, And then that will get access to the course. And the course has seven installments. And we sometimes refer to them as weekly installments because it would be possible to do them as, as a weekly uh, journey and and that that has its benefits because it means that we're keeping up the momentum and there's that real f- feeling of flow through it but there's no obligation to do it to that time scale and the good thing is is that once people have signed up they will have access to those installments and they can do them in their own in their own time as suits them one thing i really like about the way the course has emerged is that there's a sense of different textures within it There's some real teaching videos where Chris is explaining the concepts and there's visuals to go with it. And it's about like really getting those, the core concepts down. And then there's other videos which are much more conversational. There's a lot of different voices featured. A lot of people who are really quite expert in their various fields, like their voices are brought in. And those videos um, could even be listened to like the radio or a podcast. So I am a real multitasker and I have a tendency to always try and do two things at a time if I can. And so I listen to those like while I'm doing the washing up or whatever. And it's a way that the concepts are deepening in me. They're going in, um, but it's a different texture to when I'm sitting there watching the video. Um, And then we've got the We've got inspirational videos from Joanna Macy and they're really lovely, like little feel a bit more poetic maybe and they give that sense of like spark and like, ah, yeah, this is the journey I'm on. And then there's the guided practices and so that's something that people can do in these different ways in their own time. And then there's the uh, comments sections on the online platform and people have been leaving really amazing comments on there. So there's another texture that comes from just feeling part of this network of active hope adventurers who are going through this training at the same time or at times that are slightly dispersed. So if people want to find a buddy, could they find one as part of the the comments? Are people doing that? At the moment, that so people are doing that. They're looking for it. But there's a slightly problematic aspect to that because they would need to post their contact details in the comments, which maybe they wouldn't want to do. But we're so we're already looking to what we can develop in future. And one thing that's really at the top of our minds as a priority is ways to enable this community that's developing to connect with each other, to support each other, to buddy up, uh, people who would like to facilitate groups, to feel supported, to feel capable to do that. And so that's like on our next stage for development um and if anybody feels to you know that they've to get involved in that then you know if they've got great ideas for ways to enable that it would be really wonderful because there is there's a lot of people going through this journey who are wanting to connect up brilliant okay so coming back to chris tell us a little bit about the process you said you got money from the emerge foundation and how long has it taken what have you done? And then tell us a little bit about when it launched and how the early days have been. 
Yes, thank you, Amanda. Um, I've been wanting to do this for years. And when Active Hope came out, um, we wanted to set up some kind of study guide that would help people work through this group together. But I was exhausted with writing and I, I, I really struggled to put something together. So I, I put out the word through the network, anyone willing to help me. And um, this very experienced work that Reconnects facilitator from the States, Barbara Ford, just emailed me and say, hey, Chris, I'd love to help. And we didn't actually set up a, a study guide. But what we did do, this was back in when the book first came out in 2012, we started running online Active Hope groups. And Barbara's a really good friend. And she's part of, we've got her voice in on the call. She does a lot of work around radical gratitude. I've never met her physically. It's amazing. She's 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 one of my Skype and Zoom friends through this magic window of um, uh, online interconnectivity. But, but we, we held a whole series of groups for people from around the world. And out of that, I set up an online resource, a free resource for people wanting to do Active Hope groups. And over 1,200 people have signed up to that. And we know that active groups have happened around the world. But I was also thinking, well, how do we help that process of people drawing on this material? And so I'd been wanting to produce this video-based um, online course. Since I, I used to live in Bristol and I used to do loads of face-to-face -face training and then I moved up to the north of Scotland and it actually is amazing how doing online training um, when it saves you know the, the travel but it's also very effective. So I wanted to do this but also it's like how do you find the time for that? And then I um, was lucky enough to be invited to teach on a course some friends of mine were running that was funded by the Emergence Foundation. And I read about them and I thought like, wow, this is amazing, this Emergence Foundation. They give money to projects supporting positive change in the world. And the, what they're particularly interested in are projects that deepen our sense of connection with each other and with life that have a more kind of holistic um, view of things. I thought, this is, this is me, you know, this is a foundation that's completely along the same lines that the work that I've been involved in. So I applied and um, it was quite a job of work to put in an application. I have tried funding applications for the same project a few times and never got anywhere. But anyway, they gave a grant of £9,700 and like absolutely fantastic. But then I thought like, um, okay, so what's going to help do this? You know, I didn't, I, I knew the material because Joanna and I had written the book together, but I wasn't quite sure how it would work as an online course. So I set up a, a kind of um, a consultative committee and Madeline was part of this. She helped part, she was part of the team for this. We, we, we called it deepening active hope and it was a group of people involved in facilitating from all, all over the world really we had about 50 of us and we met up once a fortnight and we went through the book together uh, and it was also supporting joanna and i we're working on a new edition at the moment so we're thinking like you know how does active hope look 10 years on when we've got the advancing unraveling and also the pandemic and also the completely different political landscape with the kind of normalization of dishonesty mm. you know it's shocking the degree of dishonesty and the, the kind of loss of respect for factual truth anyway so there's all all of that with the landscape's different to 10 years ago what does active hope look like now but one of the things about that process was between each webinar we invited people to partner up to do a paired practice hmm. and that's my deepest learning from that process and I don't think I would have done the online course quite the same way if we hadn't had that practice run it's like a pilot group in a way because what people said was was that um, there was a magic that happened in those partnered practices people had conversations um, with people they'd never met before but found this deep sense of shared concern and, and common purpose in a way that was like, hey, I've discovered a new friend. You know, it's kind of, uh, but also this, this saying of act local, think global, 
it starts to make much more sense when you feel that you're part of a network of people around different parts of the world and you're having conversations with them. Anyway, so that laid out the scaffolding. But then my plan was was to have all the films ready by the beginning of the year. And anyone who's involved in producing films knows just how time-consuming it is. You know, you can spend a whole day working on a minute of video Yep. And that's just the scripting, you know, it's kind of then the editing. And so it just took me, I had huge overshoot on the time allocation. It's taken vastly longer. And it's like every time I have a deadline of it's all going to be done by then, somehow we we never quite make it. And so we push these deadlines on. But there's a lovely saying, it's not what the goal is, it's what the goal does. And so each deadline we set ourselves it squeezed a bit more out. And, and I'm so grateful to Madeline because Madeline has been like this um, amazing ally support person, you know, was kind of initially just you volunteered Madeline to support the Deepening Active Hope, um, but has actually become a really important partner in this um, creation process. And I love the the word emergence and this being funded by the Emergence Foundation. But the whole process of creating this course has been one of emergence. It's a bit like you plant a seed and it grows into something. And we thought it might be a shrub, but actually it's turned into a big tree. And um, hopefully with the ideas that Madeline was talking about, developing a further training at some point to facilitators, you know, maybe it would develop into a forest, who knows. But it certainly it's a much bigger thing than... I envisaged a year ago when I was um, working on the application. Um, but also, what I love are reading the comments that people are writing and people saying things like, hey, you know, I'd never realized that. Or I'd always done this, but I'd never done that. Mm. And doing it this way, it's really brought something. People who are very experienced mindfulness practitioners finding that the um, we have an exercise called listening to our world, just finding a place where you just go and sit. And, and it's like rather than broadcast, you just um, focus on receiving channel. You know, If our world were to say something to you, yeah. what would it say? And how would you hear it? And one of the ways that you hear more is just by creating space to listen. So we, we talk about listening practices. And just as this idea of our world can feel through us, this idea of, uh, I, I think there's me feelings, but there's also us feelings. That, that People are used to that idea in relation to families. You know, if somebody's grieving for somebody who's died in a family it's like the family grieves through the members of the family but if we're members of the family of life on earth then we can just have the same idea that our planet feels through us we have some feelings they're us feelings they're to do with our connection they arise out of our connection but as well as our world feeling through us what would it be like if our world's intelligence can happen through us and this idea of emergence you can uh, like great ideas aren't the inventions of single brain cells. They happen through brain cells. The brain is something that um, it works because of all these different parts playing their role in, in a bigger network. And this is the thing about intelligence, this idea of collective intelligence. It's, it's bigger than um, what can I do? You know, that sometimes our confusion actually is just an invitation to listen and to pay attention to maybe there's a larger intelligence in our world, and this is really tying in with ideas like Gaia theory, deeply rooted in science, but also completely in alignment with what spiritual um, wisdom traditions have been saying for you know thousands of years from many different parts of our world mm. this idea that we can listen for guidance maybe we call them spirit allies or whatever we call them or whether people talk about it in terms of listening for um spirit or god or however they use those terms but uh, for me i suppose i i see it more as listening to the emergent intelligence of our world and and sometimes i can get a sense of just a strong feeling that I need to do something or a strong feeling that I need, it might be something simple, like I need to phone somebody 
And some of those feelings, they come out of my listening to our world. Mm. Anyway, that's a very long answer to this, you know, how did the course evolve? It's been an emergent journey and we're still on it. And it surprised us along the way. But also what I love about the surprises are the positive surprises of the aha moments that come where people previously thought, oh, there's no way we can make a difference. You know, it's like there, there, there's no glimmers here. And then then seeing those light bulb moments and not just light bulb moments, but light heart moments, you know, something can get switched on in our hearts. What's thoughts? What's feelings? That I love the term heart mind. You know, in our heart mind, we can get a fire lighted and energy sparks grows out of a sense of possibility and conviction and commitment and it changes on our changes our lives totally brilliant beautiful thank you that might be a really good place to stop but i would like to give madeline a chance is there anything that you would like to say about the process where it's been where it's gone where it's taken you as a final thought for people listening madeline what's felt uh interesting for me is um chris has said to me in the past and that sometimes there's there's ideas from that that world that intelligence of the universe that are not wanting to happen just through one person they might be wanting to happen through many people and they might be just waiting there like tapping on your shoulder going you know like are you are you open to me are you listening are you gonna gonna hear this and it really felt like that in this instance it felt like you know this this wanted to happen through us um and interestingly like so I've never met Chris in person and yet you know he's been the most amazing like lockdown buddy through so it was like at the beginning of the first lockdown that we met virtually and there was this moment when a lot of things were going online and I felt really fired up like that that light was was sparked in my heart about, hey, this is a, a chance. This is a chance to reach out much more inclusively to there's a there's more accessibility here. And I was feeling really fired up about that. And it was almost like seeing a seeing our, our passions reflected and seeing there's something that wants to happen here. And I just felt very clear like I, I want I want to be involved. I want this connection. I want to go wherever it's going. Um, and we've met up like uh, uh, about once a week ever since. Um, and yes, it's been an amazing process because I I really say I mean the the reason that I'm a facilitator of the work that reconnects is because I really need it. You know, I really need this mm. practice in my life on a daily basis and so I have felt steeped in it during this time um, and it's been very good for me and I feel more passionate about it than ever. Magical. Okay and people can find it at activehope.training. Well thank you both of you for taking the time to make this happen and then for coming on to the Accidental Gods podcast. Thank you so much. Thank you Amanda. Yes thank you so much. And that's it for another week. Enormous, deep, heartfelt thanks to Madeline and Chris for the work that they're doing and for taking the time to come onto the podcast and tell us about it. I will put links in the show notes to the Active Hope training and also to Chris's College of Wellbeing. The Active Hope training is free, but the money from the Emergence Foundation ran out a long time ago. And so they are working on a paying forward system where if you like it, if you have the means... If you want to help support other people to listen and for it to remain free, then you can offer to participate and help that happen. This genuinely feels like one of the big steps in taking us all forward to places where we have agency, where we understand our role in the web of life, where we can move towards what I am calling conscious evolution and other people might call the great turning or the great unravelling. It's all one thing, people. It doesn't matter what we call it. What matters is that we wake each morning with that sense of hope as being a thing that works through us and not something that depends on us being absolutely certain of the outcome. So if you've enjoyed anything of Accidental Gods over the months and the years, 
please do go and seek out the Active Hope training at activehope.training so that you too can be part of whatever is coming. We will be back next week, as ever, with another conversation. And in the meantime, thanks to Caro C for the engineering, the production and the music at the head and foot. Thanks to Faith Tilleray for the tech and the website. And thanks to you for listening. If you want the show notes, if you want to check out other podcasts, if you want to join our membership programme, we're at accidentalgods.life. And that's it for now. See you next week. Thank you and goodbye.